This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. After the first trial, losing, understanding what that loss meant, I, I pretty much broke down. Just the realization of, I knew that that meant I was definitely, they dug a hole for me. I'm 50 years old. Look, man, I I know I probably got probably about 20 more years left. I would have felt worse if they'd have done this to me at 20-something or 30-something. And the way I have to rationalize this pretty much is like this. I stayed out there until I was about 47, 46, something like that. And let me tell you something. I I done lived my life. And I'm not saying that in no bragging way. I'm not saying that in no way, in no hearty way. I'm just saying... I've come to terms that, look, I may only have 20 years left. In fact, one of my good friends just died, and he had 18 years in. He'd been in jail since 93. David Hyatt, I always used to talk about him. He's one of the guys who introduced me into the music business. He got his life sentence in 1994, 93 or something like that. And he just died like him. In, um, in like October or something like that. But I think I only have 20 years left in life probably anyway. And again, if they'd have done this to me in my 20s and my 30s, I probably wouldn't have felt, I'd have felt cheated. It ain't that I don't feel cheated right now. I just feel like this is what it is. It is what it is, man. And I, I've lived my life, man. I've, I've, I've been balling a long time, man. Yeah. I've done a lot of things in my life, man. I've traveled all over the world. I've helped change and introduce the world to rap music. I was a part of it all when, when the glory days of hip hop. My graduation class is. The Chris Lighties and the Shotkins and the Queen Latifas and the Kadar Massenbergs and the, you know what I mean? Like, and the list goes on. Yeah. This call is from a federal prison. They could try to defame me all they want. <clears throat> they could try to assassinate my character all they want. At the end of the day, those who know me know who I was and what I stood for. And I've I've done it all, man. There's no other story to be told about my life 
I was a 10th grade dropout. I've rubbed shoulders with the president, the first black president of the United States. I was a part of that. I was a part of a friend of mine getting elected in Haiti to reform Haiti after the earthquake. I was a part of that. You can't take that away from me. I've been to Mecca. I've been to Africa. I've been a lot of places, man. And I've met a lot of people that I should have never probably met. From some projects in Brooklyn to where I went to. To owning homes all over the country. To becoming public enemy number one. But truly in my heart, in my heart, I really don't accept what they did to me. I don't, I haven't accepted it yet. And maybe I'm foolhardy. Maybe I'm foolhardy. But at the end of the day, this is just another obstacle for me to jump over. I've taken artists from zero to a thousand. I've taken things that was nothing to no one and made them popular all over the world. So I know what I need to do and I know what I gotta do. Instead of doing it for other people, I gotta do it for myself now. But I haven't accepted, I haven't accepted having eight life sentences and a bunch of other numbers underneath it. I haven't accepted that. There's lifers that I'm around right now that have accepted their life sentences. I haven't accepted it. And that may be one of the things that keep me sane right now because I've watched guys go crazy too. And so at the end of the day, at the end of the day, it's like, you know, you understand, I understand why some of these guys are crazy. Because there's no hope. I'm, I'm around a bunch of guys where they have no hope. I mean, I still have my family. I still talk to some of my friends. I have my children that I still love that are standing next to me. I have, I, I'm grateful for the things that I do have, man. And um, that's how, man, I wake up every morning. Sanely. And thinking every day. It's not one day that I go by not thinking about going home. It's not one day that I've been in here that I don't think about the day that I get to walk out of here. There's some people around me that has given up that hope. But I'm not there yet. I'm not there Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. All right, so life doesn't happen bi-weekly, so why should payday? The money you earn can be in your hands today with Earn In. Earn In is an app 
that gives you access to your pay as you work, up to $100 per day or up to $750 per pay period. Just download the Earn In app and verify your paycheck. Then access up to 100 a day as you work and leave an optional tip. Any money you access plus tips are automatically repaid from your next paycheck. So maybe you need to get your kids something special or you and the wife need a scintillating night out every once in a while at least. So download Earn In Today, spelled E-A-R-N-I-N, in the Google Play or Apple App Store. When you download the Earn In app, type in the dossier under podcast. Earn In is a financial technology company, not a bank, subject to your available earnings, daily max, pay period max, and location. See earnin.com forward slash TOS for details. Bank products are issued by Evolve Bank and Trust, member FDIC. In examining the first trial, you have to look at the key witnesses, the evidence, and the story the United States government is telling the jury about the murder of Lowell Fletcher. Federal trials are long, they are complicated, and they are a deep journey into our criminal justice system. For the average jury member or the average citizen, I can only imagine the confusion the pomp and circumstance that interrupts their lives so they can decide an individual's fate who has been charged with a crime. As a trained journalist at times reading through this case, I was confused. So I can't even imagine a jury who most likely half the time was daydreaming or sorting through their own internal problems thought about the evidence. Here's the judge in Jimmy's trial bringing up a very important point and one that I need to explain. And here's what the judge said to the courtroom and to the jury. He said, okay, ladies and gentlemen, you know, because I've told you a couple of times before, Mr. Rosemont hasn't been charged with any narcotics offenses. This evidence that you're going to hear right now is relevant only to the charges against Mr. Johnson and not to the charges against Mr. Rosemont. He stated that to the jury. What you might not know about our federal criminal justice system is that the federal government does not traditionally investigate murders. The investigation of murders are regulated to state and local authorities. What agencies like the FBI and DEA do is if they feel a murder took place in furtherance of a criminal organization or as part of the working mechanics of a criminal organization, they can then charge the murder. But in Jimmy's case, this was a bit bizarre. Rodney Johnson was charged with narcotics offenses. Jimmy's CCE charges were already done. That was passed with his drug trial. But the Southern District wanted James Rosemont bad, and thus, In Jimmy's trial, in the transcripts, you have a lot of testimony about large-scale narcotics trafficking that I am sure 
influence the jury in various ways. So here again, I'm going back to the transcript, and here is testimony of a DEA agent who investigated Rodney Johnson, and not Jimmy. He's asked a question. Did you see what was recovered from the apartment? Yes. What was recovered from inside the apartment at 20903 41st 15th Avenue? There was an MPA-10 submachine gun with a silencer or a suppressor. There was two additional kilograms of cocaine, two kilo presses, and paraphernalia packing materials. Money, I can't remember the amount. I believe it was 16,000, but I'm not sure. Now the DE agent continues, and there was packing materials all over the place and broken up boxes, just like the one we seized. Question. Had anyone been placed under arrest? Yes. Who? Rodney Johnson was placed under arrest along with Derek English and Ronald Anderson. If there's one thing you need to fully understand about the federal criminal justice system, it is what is called a proffer. It's a fancy word for spilling the beans, for telling law enforcement anything and everything about all your crimes. And it usually ends up with you telling on a co-defendant. These proffer sessions between government agents and suspects are hands down the most corrupt process in the whole federal system. In 2022, proffer sessions are still not recorded with audio or video. What happens is a federal agent basically takes down handwritten notes that he then translates back into a report or proffer. He takes notes with a notebook. Can you actually believe that these proffer notes are then put into evidence? I've seen some proffers and some notes, I mean the paperwork. It's basically bad handwriting by an FBI agent. The only reason to still have this system is to be able to manipulate statements, which happens all the time. Here again is a DEA agent in Jimmy's case explaining the process. As far as the proffer, the way it works is that if a defendant wants to come in and talk to the prosecution, their defense lawyer will reach out to the prosecutor and say, my client wants to come in and talk. The prosecutor would agree. We would meet in a room here at the courthouse. It would be the prosecution, the prosecutor, an agent that would serve as a witness and a defense lawyer and the defendant. And then we would, the prosecutor would give the defendant a cooperation, not an agreement, but a proffer letter stating all his rights and his protections. Once it's signed, then the defendant would give the prosecution all their criminal history and everything and tell us all they know about any crimes they have committed or any other crimes or criminals that they know that could help the government. So that meeting that you described, what's that meeting called? That's a question by one of Jimmy's lawyers. It's called a proffer. Approximately how many proffers have you participated in as an agent of the DEA? DEA agent answers, I would say over 100 proffers. What happens during a proffer other than the signing of the agreement? This is when 
Jimmy's lawyer objects. Now, in reading the transcripts, it is very evident that the government prosecutors were checking some boxes for the jury. They were painting a picture of Rodney Johnson as a career criminal and narcotics trafficker. In one moment, the judge had to remind the jury that James Rosemont was not charged with any narcotics offenses in this particular trial. He was on trial for conspiracy to commit murder. But a federal courtroom is a place where nuances are key. An average juror looks at Ronnie Johnson sitting next to James Rosemont and they're going to make their own assumptions. Guilt by association. They knew they didn't really have the evidence it took to really convict me. However, they skillfully took me to trial with guys who I had already lost to a drug case. And they were taking these next set of guys to trial on the drug case. However, they threw the murder within that drug operation. But I got convicted already for the drugs in Queens when the, they, the cops went into the house in Queens and found the machine gun and about 30 kilos. Um, and Khalil said that it was my, my kilos. So when I went to trial, they, they threw all of those stuff on my case. <clears> threw <throat> do, do all of those, those drugs into my case. So when I was going to trial for the murder, what they did was they had some other set of guys in Manhattan that they were taking a trial on the same exact drugs that I lost to. And they said, okay, we're not going to take, since he already lost to the drugs in the Eastern District, we're going to take them to trial on the murder um, and take these guys with the drugs, but we're going to put them all um, in front of the jury together. There was one guy who wasn't named in the murder that they didn't take the trial. I mean, with us. He went to trial first. And let me just remind you. Let me just remind you. Let me walk you through this. When the guys in 2010, I believe, they got arrested in Queens with about 30 kilos, machine guns, and all of that stuff. Um... My name wasn't implicated until way later when they were trying to make their case against me. This guy named Brian James comes into the fold. Again, I only met this guy one time coming out of the mosque, and he was coming to see Khalil Abdullah. But he testified that he um, heard me having a drug conversation while he sat 15 feet away from us at Amy Roof's in Harlem. Um... So they hurried up and took me to trial and put those drugs into my Brooklyn case. So when, I, when I'm going to trial in Manhattan, this call is from a federal prison. Instead of me having just a murder case, they got machine guns, they have 30 kilos that they're showing to the jurors, and and um, it's just prejudice. So that so when when Rodney Rodney Johnson goes to trial for the drugs in the murder because he was implemented implicated in the murder, um, they say, okay, you don't think about the drugs on James Roseman's behalf, 
but only the murder. But on Rodney Johnson, they're going to think about drugs and murder for him. But when guys got on the stand and testified, they testified that I was a head of an organization. So it looked crazy. Like, the jurors even the jurors couldn't even really distinguish between what was what. And the, the, the evidence was so less in this case. And this is what they were banking on, that it would spill over where the jurors would find guilty anyway. In listening to Jimmy, the word nuance comes to mind. When you are dealing with the federal criminal justice system, and I can't stress this enough, how nuance, perception, and what the prosecutors say in open court matters to the jury. Keep in mind, do you think the average Joe feels that the U.S. attorney has the ability to lie to them? That the oath they took at the Justice Department ultimately gets thrown out the window over career advancement and the idea of winning. When winning is involved, the truth goes out the window. 